What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode eight of the Did You Hear podcast. I'm Emma Houghton, alongside Pat Zhang, and after 72 days, the shortest offseason in NBA history, Pat, the NBA is back. It feels kind of crazy, right? So we're recording this on Wednesday morning. The first games tipped off last night with the Brooklyn winning, as well as the Clippers, and it really feels like the LA Lakers won the championship just a couple weeks ago, and it's because they did. <laughs> As you said, only only 70-plus days away from when the NBA season ended. Some teams haven't played in nine months. That'll be tipping off tonight. It's a, it's a weird situation, but it's kind of the world that we live in right now. That's actually a really good point because some of these teams had extra time off. Yeah, some teams haven't played since March because they yeah. didn't get invited to the bubble. That's really wild. And then these other teams like the Lakers and the Heat, especially who are in the bubble for the longest time possible. I mean, we're going to see more load management and and coaching decisions on whether to play players more than ever because some of these older guys, their bodies just can't take it. And I'm completely 100% understand. No, I I agree. This is this is going to be a brutal turnaround. It is. It's it's still a 72 game season as well. So they only, you know, knock 10 games off the season. It's not like this is a 50 game season kind of like the NHL is doing with 56. So they're still playing the bulk of the year. It, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be difficult. And I I do think like you said you're going to see the NBA hates it, especially with nationally televised games, but I don't see any way around load management this year, especially early in the season. I mean, like you said, for those teams that made the the long runs into the playoffs, they barely got a month off. I mean, training camp started at the beginning of this month. It's this is a tough ask. It, it is. I obviously understand why why it's being done, and it's being done so that they're able to facilitate as much of a, a season as possible with those seventy two games. But it's going to be hard on the players. Grind is the only way to put it. That's it. And it, the difference between regular season play and playoff play is very evident anyway. But this year, I think it's going to be even more exacerbated. And at this point, the players don't really care because they put themselves through the grind of the playoffs in the bubble mentally and physically there and then to do the whole thing without fans whatever covid issues are going to come up it's a big ask but again if they're excited to play and we as fans are excited to watch so i think we really just got to take whatever comes to us in whatever form that it does i think that's the way to look at it as well and then the other way of at least measuring confidence in it is that out of all of the leagues i think the nba probably did the best job not even a question exactly kind of implementing everything after COVID. i think adam silver is just a fantastic leader for them with with a great vision about how this to move this thing forward so if there's confidence in any of these leagues for this to work out i would say it's the nba that can get it right I totally agree, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how successful they are without the bubble, without the safety of the bubble. Because as good as it was for the NBA to get there and get the bubble underway, and as success, as successful as it was, a lot of these other leagues haven't done the bubble and have struggled. So, and this is now the second turnaround of a season, the first time that a season's turning around after COVID or, or deep into COVID. So, I'm curious to see to see how it goes, and hopefully, we just have as few hiccups as possible but should we get into it yeah let's do it okay so we both pat and i focused on one team that we think is really exciting to watch coincidentally we both pick teams that are very strong on offense and very weak on defense so pat lead us right into it 
I think very strong on offense and very weak on defense is basically the perfect way to describe this team. So for me, when I'm looking for interesting, intriguing teams kind of to look for this season, I looked at the Eastern Conference being that that conference is just more wide open than the West. And I'm looking at the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, going going through the conference, you know who the top contenders are going to be in the East. It's going to be Brooklyn. It's going to be Miami. It's going to be Milwaukee. It's going to be Boston. Indiana will be good. You've got the Sixers have had some upheaval. The Raptors have been good. So that leaves probably about two spots to get into the eight seed. But also remember that there's the play-in tournament this year. So you only kind of need to get to the 10 to be able to have a chance at getting into the postseason. So looking at the Atlanta Hawks, last season 20 and 47, the last two years 49 and 100. They have been bad. Very bad. 100 is a very stark number. <laughs> when you hear 100 losses in two years, you know it's not pretty. Um, but looking at them, they, they kind of went all in this offseason. I mean, they traded for Clint Capella. Uh, towards the end of last season to kind of help out at center. They signed Bogdan Bogdanovich, who we talked about initially a couple weeks ago, going to the Milwaukee Bucks, but that trade fell through. They then were able to sign him in free agency. Danilo Gallinari came in as well as one of their forward slash wings. Uh, Rajon Rondo was added to the roster as well as Chris Dunn. But looking at this team and why it's so exciting, as you said, it is the Hawks offense and it is going to be so fun to watch this season. Of course, everything runs through their main man, Trey Young, who averaged just about 30 points per game last season. I, Young is basic, pro, quite possibly the best pick-and-roll point guard in the entire league, um, and obviously we all know about that range that he has. Important stat to throw out with him as well, 86% from the free-throw line. And just how key that is to be able to, A, draw fouls, and B, knock him down at the line, he's one of the best in the league at doing that. 100%. I think the biggest things that stick out to me about this Atlanta team is that they went all in this season, and they're not going to leave themselves much room <clears throat> for mistakes. Nope. Last year, they were the inexperienced team. They're kind of similar to the Thunder in that way. Like, they they used the past couple seasons as building blocks. They got Trey Young, and now they're building around him, their franchise guy. They got bigger. I think Clint Capella and Gallinari make them bigger, better on defense, and more experienced. And to have those guys as mentors, Rondo especially, mm -hmm. the playoff experience, I think the... The complementing of all three of those things, I actually think playoff experience is really important. And now they have an, another good shooter with Bogdanovich alongside Young taking some of that pressure off. But I just need to see them take a step up defensively in order to fight for that 8-10 to 10 spot to put, to get into that play-in game. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. So a point that I did have as, as kind of to what, what you said is that this, this is the year for Atlanta. They, they need to win games this year. So in, in turn, that puts a lot of pressure on Coach Lloyd Pierce and that it's, it's gotta happen. And it, it's funny. I was reading through some articles and Pierce is listed as one of the favorites to get fired early in the season this year and also one of the favorites as a possible coach of the year candidate. Oh my so God. <laughs> that just shows you about kind of the, the stark difference in outcomes that people think this Atlanta Hawks team can have this year. Another interesting point with the coaching staff is that they brought in Nate McMillan this offseason as an assistant coach. Now McMillan was just the coach in Indiana, was let go. 
after the first round exit this year has has a uh, coaching experience in Seattle and Portland before that as well. So they kind of have a someone that's got a ton of experience that can help out Pierce on his staff, but B if things falter with Pierce, they have a ready-made coach sitting there on that staff ready to step in in case they need to make a change mid-season. That's so, a really good point. It that, it brings them the stability they need amidst everything too. Yeah, so it just it gives them it just gives them an option to be able to bring in if they need to bring in a new voice they can if they're just looking for some help for Pierce they added that as well so I really like the McMillan hiring but it also shows that the pressure's turned up for them this year that this they they have to win and they showed that too with their pick in the draft they picked Onyeka Okongwu with the number six pick the center from him. USC and I think now they have some really highly touted collegiate players. They have DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, Cam Reddish from Duke, who everybody expects to take a step up this year. It seems like expectations have been Reddish's downfall ever since since he started playing basketball at Duke. It was the same thing. And I think Okongwu gives them some depth and ability to spread the floor. And then you let Trey Young run this offense the way he always has. He always has an all-star. He already has an all-star appearance under his belt. And now it's time for the surrounding core to show how they're going to take this team further as well. Absolutely. And I, I want to talk about defense, but you kind of set me up perfectly for my did you hear with the surrounding core. So my did you hear for the Atlanta Hawks is that per 100 possessions with Trey Young on the floor last year, they averaged 111 points. Without Trey Young on the floor, their points per 100 possessions dropped to 95.7. When he wasn't on the floor... They just couldn't score. So their big thing this year was that they brought in Bogdanovich, someone that can handle the ball, someone that can score, that can create his own shot. They're going to look for some progression out of those role players in DeAndre Hunter. Uh, As I said, they added Gallinari. We haven't even mentioned John Collins, who is a really, really strong four for them, a young player that makes a huge impact for them, especially offensively, not great defensively, as most of the Hawks are. Um, But this is going to be all about what that secondary unit can do, and that's why guys like Rondo were brought in, just to be able to strengthen it and make sure things work, because Trey Young's not going to play 48 minutes a game every single game. No, there's no question that that's true. The other thing is the way this team is built, when you have somebody as athletic as Trey Young leading this team, I want them to get better on the defensive end in transition and creating turnovers. And they're they're about halfway. They rank 13th in steals last season and 11 in turnovers, which isn't bad. But I just, when you have young athletic players like Young, like Hunter, like Reddish, even like Rondo, who isn't young but is athletic enough to be creative on defense, that's where I see them taking the biggest stride because Trey Young isn't playing every single minute of the game. Other players are going to have to learn how to make points without him. It's honestly kind of like Con Gillespie in the Wildcats. <laughs> but on defense, they need to get better at locking teams down and creating more opportunities for themselves on offense because that's their biggest strength. No, it it definitely is. And so what I will tell you about there is that I looked at that as well. How can they improve on defense? And there's one name that really stands out. It's another addition that they brought in this year, and that's Chris Dunn, the former Chicago Bull, Providence standout there in the Big East. Providence guy. Yep, exactly. He has the highest steal rate in the NBA over the last five years. That's a great stat. I had no idea. Thank you. That's what we try to bring to this show. 
So adding him, we know he doesn't have too much to his offensive game. He has struggled there. He's never really lived up to potential there. But he is a stout defender. He is a strong defender. And he's someone that's really going to help the perimeter play for the Hawks, which is exactly what they need because they have just been tortured by perimeter play over the last couple years. They're also going to be stronger inside, as you kind of referred to before, with uh, Capella coming back from injury, as well as Anyeka Onkangwu coming in from USC. gives them a lot more athleticism. It gives them a lot more length, and they should be a lot stronger inside. They were 15th in offensive rebounding rate last year. I expect that to go up with with Capella and Onkangwu coming in. And I just... I see a lot of potential in this Hawks team to put some string some wings together and I know we talked about just having to get into that play that playing game I think they have potential to get the six seven or eight seed in the east I I really do I, th- I think they have a chance they could even avoid that playing game as long as things get put together I mean offense they are going to score enough points some nights that it's not going to matter how they play defensively but, of course, when it comes down to crunch time, defense is going to be what's really important to them. And with guys like DeAndre Hunter, who I am a huge Hunter believer, I will stay on that hill. I think he can develop into a very solid 3 and D type player and a very good defender. You add Chris Dunn again to help around the perimeter. Like we just talked about the center rotation. You have some veteran experience in there now. Now is the time for the Atlanta Hawks. I think they can put something together. The thing that I think is really important that people have been talking about more recently because of LeBron James and AD and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George is team chemistry. And as much as I think the Hawks went all in this year, it might turn into a two or three year plan instead of this year or bust because That's I'm fair. not saying, I'm not saying Trey Young's minutes are going to be limited or his shot production is going to be down or anything like that because this is still his team. But now he has players around him that can really play and they traded for guys that can really play. And I'm just curious to see how this team meshes, especially with the coaching staff the way it is too. I think how this team plays together and how they learn how to space the floor and get their offense as productive and as efficient as it should be, it might not be where this year is where things are clicking on all cylinders. I think it might take more time. My biggest concern with that is actually a point that kind of I brought up earlier in that the Hawks, A, haven't played in nine months, and B, added a bunch of faces, didn't have a summer league, barely had a training camp, and now have to go out there and in a situation where ownership is clearly looking for them to win and win right, right away. It, right. It's a hard position for Pierce to be in. So, no, I, I do think that's a fair point that these guys just haven't been able to play together yet. So I think it might take a little bit of time here at the start of the season. You definitely are probably going to see some some growing pains. But I, I do think if they are able to put this thing together, which I think they will, that they can be incredibly explosive and find a way into the postseason. Explosive is a very good word, especially on that offensive end. The other thing is that the East is so top-heavy that there's room for some teams to make a surprising run. I I think, without a doubt, the Hawks could be the most surprising team in the East. The West is so different because it seems like one through eight is already pretty much settled, and then there's (laughs) a couple teams on the back end. But we saw it even in the bubble. I think there were 13 teams in the West and nine teams in the East that went in. So there's just there's a difference there anyway, which allows teams like 
the Hawks, the Wizards, some other lesser-known teams now that could make a run? No, it's definitely top-heavy, like you said. They're, they're the teams that are going to be there that are going to eat up that top five, top six seeds. And then you've got the back end, and I really do think Atlanta can get in there. Yeah, so I, I think it, it'll be interesting to watch. I'm going to switch it to the West because a lot of the stuff we've talked about is very similar with the Portland Trailblazers, and they are my team to watch in the Western Conference. And it's be- because of two things mainly. People are counting them out this year, and the second is that it's Dame time. And everybody knew it was Dame time. They knew it in the bubble when they he averaged freaking 37 points a game in those seeding games. Not, over nine and a half rebounds. It was incredible. Nine and a half assists, sorry. And four rebounds. His shooting splits were literally non-human. And he led the Blazers to a six and two record. So but besides the Suns, who just went out there and were a completely different team than they were all season, Damian Lillard showed how good this Trailblazers team can be. So that's my context here. My did you hear is that with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, they are the third best offensive team in terms of offensive efficiency in the league. At least last season they were. On the flip side, they rank 28th in defensive efficiency. So they're the third best team in offense, the third worst team in defense. And the only teams worse than them on defense are the Wizards and the Cavs. So when you're talking about these teams, defense is derailing them because they have all the pieces necessary on offense and they just couldn't get things together on the defensive end. That being said... This season, I see them having a massive turnaround, and it's because of how busy their offseason was. So first, going back to the bubble and the reemergence of uh, Yusuf Nurchik, he had a horrible leg injury. One of those leg injuries where you wonder if they're going to play again, be healthy, ever be able to be as productive as they were before. In the bubble, he averaged over 17.5 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, and 2 blocks, and he shot nearly 40 nine percent from the field so those eight games the basically the eight games that the blazers played in the bubble i see as a sneak peek to what they can be this season and they added even more guys so i'll get through some of their their offseason acquisitions right now they got first of all now they have carmelo anthony in a better role for him coming off the bench so he was the sixth man last year. I think he has come into a role now where he isn't being pressured to be as productive, and that just motivates him even further. They traded for, they acquired Derek Jones Jr., who was productive for Miami last season, but I see him being even more productive in that three role for the Blazers this season. And then arguably their biggest pickup, was for Robert Covington in the Houston trade where they dealt Trevor Ariza. Definitely agree there on Covington. I think he is a a real difference maker for them. He's a real difference maker on defense, too. So he averages 12 points per game. He gives them that offensive boost if Dame or CJ McCollum are lacking that night. But what he's able to do on defense to elevate that squad, I think, makes them even more in contention. Having a healthy Nurchik... I think Gary Trent Jr. has a bigger year. And they also have Cantor now, who they trade traded from uh, Boston. 
when he was in Portland a few years ago, it led to that Western Conference Finals appearance. He gives them better rebounding skills, better rim protection, and I think all of those things together lead to a better defense, which makes them an unstoppable team if they can pick things up on offense. Yeah, offensively, like you said, as we've talked about, they're going to be really, really strong this year. I would never, ever bet against Damian Lillard in any shot that he takes, so you know you have him. McCollum is obviously a very, very strong option as a secondary scorer. Carmelo was much better than a lot of people thought he was going to be. As I said, I think the Covington addition is huge for defensive flexibility. You know he can step out and hit the three. They brought back Rodney Hood, who is a very strong defender. Uh, an interesting pickup that I kind of want to look at is is Harry Giles coming in, former first round pick out of Duke. Wasn't really able to put it together in Sacramento because he's not able to recover from injuries, which has been his basically life story through high school, college, and now the pros. But if he can stay healthy, it adds an intriguing option for that center rotation. Um, it's as you said, important to add Cantor as well because you're able to spell Nurkic a little bit. Uh, we know Gary Trent Jr. played really well in the bubble. Uh, they've got some intriguing options. They really do. Now, I, I completely understand that the West is stacked. Obviously, you've got the two LA teams. You've got Dallas. You've got Denver. There are some very, very strong teams out there. But I, I think Portland deserves to be in the conversation with those. I, I, I do. I, I think they have the potential to make a lot of noise this year. And Listen, it's it's talked about all the time, and it's because it's true. The The NBA really relies on star power and, and getting those best players in the league. And there are not many guys better than Damian Lillard. And for some reason, people just continue to not talk about him. Which makes no sense, because he is a true superstar. That's what I meant at the beginning by people counting them out, because that just fuels his fire. And that means he's going to be even better than he was last year, and then he was in a bubble, which doesn't really seem possible at this point. Going off of some of those guys, I, I don't think people took into account how injured the Blazers were down the stretch, and they still were able to take the Lakers to five games. And watching those games in the playoffs, I never felt like they were completely out of it. They completely gave LeBron and the Lakers a run for their money, and it's because Damian Lillard carried them on offense but when you have some of those guys back, I think Giles, he's injury riddled, to say the least. Very much so. But I think he's worth, he's this, worth the risk. this flyer deal on. Yeah, uh, I think he's worth the risk. And I think having the center rotation, kind of similar to what we were talking about with the Hawks, with Capella and Akungu, having Cantor and him now give them just more flexibility. And then you have Nurkic, obviously, too. Their shooting guards are really strong. And I think this just, okay, this gives Dame the ability to spread the court even more. Here's a stat for you. He made 30, 40, Damian Lillard, oh my god, sorry. Damian Lillard made 43 three-pointers between 30 and 34 feet last season. <laughs> the tw- the three-point line is 22 feet. Was, was 30 and 34. That doubled anyone else in the league. Trey Young had the second most threes from that distance at 21. So Damian Lillard is literally doing things that nobody else in the league is doing. He's also capitalizing on that. And if they can be bigger inside, where now they can dish it out to the better shooters they have and Melo and Trent Jr. and Jones Jr., 
and they can get better on defense, I see this team honestly locking down a three or four seed in the West. I, As I said, I think they're going to be very strong. The two gripes with this team is that, as you mentioned, defensively, but I do think Covington is going to help out there as well as Jones. The other thing is that they are going to be so reliant on Lillard because they really don't have a true backup point guard on this roster. And that is, I think that is an interesting way to build the roster. I know they went more wings. I know, as we just talked about, they wanted to add some big men to be able to get the rotation and help Nurkic out a little bit. But this team is going to be unbelievably reliant on Lillard and McCollum because there there really isn't a true backup point guard on the team. No, you're right. And, and, and Lillard's 30 now. So this is where you start calling into question some of some of those things about him and how much he can take. I agree with everything you say, and I think it's so valid, but that's what they did last year, and they still secured that eight spot. And now they have better reserves in Trent Jr. and Jones Jr. and Covington. So I just think they're building upon last year. The only thing that gives me a little bit of hesitation is they ranked 28th in defensive efficiency last season. In 2018 and 19, they ranked 16th in defensive efficiency. And that was where their starting five looked relatively similar to this season. So they're going to have to dispel a lot of the critics and the rumors that they can't get things done on defense. But if they can just any, any increase of in production from Nurkic, Covington, Collins, any of those guys, I think is better than they were last year. And they were already pretty damn good last year. Yeah, we we talk about the Hawks as being a contender to get into the postseason. Portland is going to be a contender for one of the top seeds in the West. And I I think that they deserve some more credit that, that they've been given. And they're going to be really interesting to follow this year as, as everything you've, you've kind of walked through and pointed out, especially like can that defense hold up? How much, how much can Lillard shoulder offensively just by himself at, at the guard position? How helpful will those wings and centers be? But... It, as we talk about with the Hawks, and I, I hate to go back to it, if they put it all together, I mean, there's not too many teams that are going to be able to stop them offensively. I, I completely agree. And I actually think this is a, a conversation for another podcast for sure, but I think conference restructuring is on the horizon. I can see it. The playoff picture where it's just the top 16 teams. I yeah. think that's actually, especially in the NBA, as we talked about before with Adam Silver, you know, being being very progressive and, and open to, to changing things. Yeah, obviously, you're seeing it with the play-in tournament. I think there's a very strong potential that that happens in the next five years. You said it with the league's reliance on star power. If you have a star in Damian Lillard, you want him playing every single night. And I think they could have the team necessary to do that, but the talent in the West is just too strong. I don't, I don't, I still don't see the Trailblazers beating the Lakers, maybe not even beating Denver, if Michael Porter Jr. emerges as he did in the bubble. So there are just some teams that are unsurmountable. On the other hand, I think they could put a pretty good fight against the Bucks, the Celtics, the Raptors. I think those teams are much well, better matched for the Blazers, but the Lakers are still just the, the bonafide star in the West right now and in the whole league. Oh, definitely. No, listen, the the West runs through the two LA teams. I love Dallas, and I think they, they've got a ton of potential to really put things together this year. But after that, you look at Portland as, as being able to possibly slot into that, that third, fourth seed and absolutely contend for a Western Conference championship. So it 
<laughs> it'll be a fun year. As we said, things are going to be a little wacky with 72 games and kind of that shortened period. But they they absolutely should be one of the players towards the end. Look out for the Suns, too. Look out for Phoenix. Respect to Mikhail Bridges. <laughs> Literally. No, and, and Luca too. I think he's going to win the MVP and it's not going to be particularly close. But I think we picked interesting teams because... We're seeing a lot from them. Uh, on the Blazers side, we've seen a lot for them already, but they have a glaring defense, uh, weakness on defense. And hopefully their offseason moves were enough to make that better. And then on the Hawks side, they went all in. And now we just need to see how these guys play together. It, it leads into, as we said, we, we specifically wanted to do this episode today because games tipped off last night. The rest of the league tips off today. Obviously, we have the Christmas Day games, which are always very exciting in, in two days from when we're recording this now. So it's just, it's NBA time. And uh, we thought it was the perfect time to be able to go through some intriguing teams that could make a step up this year. Yeah, totally. And, and KD and Kyrie looked pretty good last night when they absolutely romped the Warriors. So that's scary in the East as well. Yeah, Brooklyn, Brooklyn looked great. And just, just as a side note here, I, I, do not make the trade for James Harden. Just don't do it. Hold on to your depth. The, the reason why Brooklyn is going to be so good this year is because of their bench depth and because of their young players to be able to really supplement Durant and Irvin. Do not bring Harden in. But that could, again, we could spend a whole podcast on that. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think they keep him and, and Harden just kind of lays dormant for the season and then gets a huge deal next year. And any any moves at this point, I think, would just mess up team chemistry so badly that it's too far in. I really think that. And the Harden mess, the Houston mess, is already so all-encompassing that they should just be dealing with that on their own. We'll see how toxic it gets there in Houston. I'm not sure they're going to have any choice but to move him somewhere with how it sounds like this thing is going. But uh, obviously, we'll we'll see how that plays out. There is a they are in no need to trade him. No, Brooklyn definitely is in no need. Yeah, toxic no, no. is the only word to describe the the deal in Houston it, right now. Exactly, it's how long <laughs> Houston can stomach it. But I yeah. but both teams do not need to make that deal. We'll just see if Houston, how long they want to hold out and keep dealing with it. So it yeah. should be interesting to follow. Yeah. All right. So so that's our NBA season preview. We think it's the perfect time. Obviously, it's game's tip tonight. We're both keeping it in college basketball for our craziest number of the week. Yes, we are. Let's hear it. All right. So this is, well, it's a, it's a different type of stat. So my statistic of the week is a record, and that is one in five. And that is the record of the Kentucky Wildcats as with their start to the season. And why is that the most interesting stat for me this week? It, it's honestly just because of how it's perceived. I, I feel like you see it all the time with Kentucky is that, oh, it's Coach Calipari. It's his plan. They're a young team. It's okay. They're going to struggle a little bit. But this is how he builds his teams. This is the the main allure of going to Kentucky is that you're going to spend a year there to max and then go pro. So why in the world do we continue to give that program and his style 
a pass. Why do we why do we do it? It just it doesn't make any sense to just say, "Oh, they're young, it's okay." When that's their plan. This isn't Villanova from 2 years ago when there's a max exodus that no one predicted and then you're left with Booth and Pascal just having to to shoulder the entire load. That's not what happens here. This is how he builds. This is how he plans for his seasons to happen for his rosters to be built around. Look at it right now. He has seven freshmen on the roster right now. That That's by design. So no, he shouldn't be given a pass. And, and to look at this to a bigger thing, there has kind of been an obsession in college basketball with trying to get those one and dones, and that's how you build the programs, and that's how you win. No, it's not. No, it's not. Look back at the past decade of national champions. There are two that were freshman-reliant. One was 2012 Kentucky, so there's Calipari, and one was 2015 Duke. Your other national champions, Virginia, Villanova, UNC, Villanova, UConn, Louisville, UConn. None of those teams were built around freshmen. They were built around blends and used senior leadership throughout those teams. The the only exceptions to that rule was... As I said, 2012 Kentucky, which had Anthony Davis on the team, 38 and 2, and 2015 Duke, which had a bunch of freshmen on that roster. Uh, Grayson Allen was a freshman. Julio Okafor really led the way for them. Uh, that was Trey Jones' first year. But how you're able to overcome that and win with these freshmen is when you have some sort of transcendent talent like Anthony Davis. But otherwise, no player development, a blend. That is how you win in college basketball. So I am so tired of the excuses for Kentucky and Calipari about losing because they're young and inexperienced and, oh, feel bad for them. Absolutely not. That's how you build your team. You made your bed, sleep in it too. Pat, I'm so happy you were able to get that off your chest. It's been on my chest for a while. (laughs) I'm just, I'm so tired. It has been boiling under the surface for weeks, and you were finally able to say it. Phew. And it, and it keeps getting worse for them, because like we were saying it like, oh, they're one and two, oh, they're one and three. Now they're one and five. They have a huge rivalry game against Louisville on Saturday. I know Chris Mack is licking his lips about pressing them into, (laughs) pressing their entire existence on defense. it just, they just, they need to be called out for what they are. And it, it just, it can, they cannot continue to be given excuses just because they're Kentucky. Right. And that's the thing. It's because of the name. And when you said the stat about Anthony Davis, that's what's so mind-blowing. Because a talent like Anthony Davis comes around once every 10 years, once every 20 years. I'd say if that. Yeah, That's if how that. good Davis was in college. So you can't bet on having somebody like that to build your team around, obviously. And Kansas should have lost, I mean, Kentucky should have lost one of the games that they've played so far, and it was against Kansas. Yep. They lost to UNC, who's ranked 17, but still, that, that was this a game. This isn't the best UNC team in yeah, the world. Yeah, that was still a game Kentucky definitely should have won. The other teams aren't even worth talking about. They're that low profile, and for that Kentucky to... That hurts for con- Notre Dame. But no, they're not yeah, a no. great team. <laughs> yeah. They're not a great basketball team, but they are in the football playoff. Um, but the, to your point, the one especially that's saying, they lost to Richmond at home. Yeah. Are, are you kidding me? The home, the home losses are unbelievable too. At Moorhead State, Georgia Tech, these, these losses aren't acceptable. And then also you have a ton of 
team dynamic stuff going on too, which we won't even get into, but there's just a lot of stuff going wrong there. And literally, to put some perspective to the numbers you said, when they were one in four, it was the first time since the 84-85 season. They're now one in five for the first time since the 1926-1927 season. But it's okay. They're young. Don't worry about it. That's exa- it's it's a huge problem, and I think you've seen as teams are struggling with the one and done deal. You saw it with Duke that they weren't able to get things done with Zion Williamson. One and done isn't the recipe for success anymore. No. But Coach Cal can't. Where does he go from here? So that's my question: Is it just that there have been bad recruits? What's the problem? I I think he kind of just. He's gone. Listen, it's how he's always done it. He's always looked to go with those young players, promise them a route to the NBA, and go out. And yes, it's worked before. Obviously, we know he was able to build UMass. He did it at Memphis. He's doing it at Kentucky. But Kentucky hasn't been great since that national title in 2012, and now that was eight years ago. And as you said, like just look at the coaches that do it the different way, that kind of that build the program, focus on development, try to bring in those young players to supplement leadership. I mean, the the Mark Fuse, the Tony Bennett's, the the Jay Wrights, like those are your top programs in college hoops right now. Even you know, looking at Baylor, Bryce Drew and the job he's done there, it's been it's the same thing. It, it I just I think college basketball really needs that shift in ideological thinking. And that, all right, we had our obsession with the one and done. Of course, it's great to add uber talented players that are young to be able to come in and inject that talent into your program. But man, it's hard to replace that year after year after year and continue to bring in new faces and continue to rebuild the chemistry and continue to have to teach schemes over and over again without guys getting more familiar in it and try to win on the highest stage. It's not... It's not sustainable. It's a hard thing to do. Exactly. I actually think UNC is a really good example of the progression we've seen of this. Because they're, they're, what's the word? Like, the way they've been decreasing the past couple years, I think you see Roy Williams try and reshape his team in, in the years upcoming. They've had some senior leaders that allowed them to be successful. And now for the past two years, they've relied on young players that haven't been able to get it done. Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina are the blue bloods of college basketball, and Duke too, probably. Two out of the four of those teams aren't reliant on freshmen anymore. What's the, the, the pattern here is that senior leadership is necessary. Experience is necessary. That's what's going to win the National Player of the Year award, and that's what's going to win national championships. And Kentucky hasn't gotten it done in eight years. Eight years is a long time, and you could almost say that was just because, purely because of Anthony Davis and a talent that transcendent. So, Coach Kyle needs to needs to figure something out because one in five isn't acceptable for a program of their distinction. They need to figure out how they're going to sustain success in the future. No, it isn't, and I I really like your UNC point because look at that—they won the national title in 2017. Look at their leadership. Theo Pinson, Joel Berry, Kennedy Mix, Isaiah Hicks, Tony, uh, excuse me, not Tony Bradley. Uh, so those four, all juniors and seniors, all McDonald's, all Americans, all guys that stayed. And then Justin Jackson as well, a junior. Luke May was only a sophomore at the time. That 
it they won that national title off the backs of juniors and seniors with some young talent coming in and that is how you build in college basketball nowadays and that is how you win championships nowadays there is a chance that you are as we said you are able to just find that transcendent superior talent that can come in and basically deliver you a title on your own as a freshman but it is a lot harder than it used to be that's it's something that needs to change Villanova and Gonzaga are favorites to win the championship this year because they have that senior leadership. Villanova doesn't have anybody. That's a freshman. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is the sophomore leader that's going to bring this team to the to the promised land, right? Yeah, no, it's true. You see it with Villanova this year, how they're built. You see it with Gonzaga, how they're built with Timmy Kispert and bringing in Suggs. I think they're the perfect example of it. Right. It's just. I just I think we need to shift how we look at things in college basketball, and, and we have to start getting rid of the mindset that the one and done is the perfect best way to do it because it's just not, and it's proven by the last decade of results. Yes, yeah. so, something's got to give in, in Coach Cal's system right now. Even they either either they continue to struggle, which nobody is going to accept, or they change the backbone of their program, but the backbone just doesn't exist anymore. That I'm backbone not- of one and done is is over. I'm not sure he's going to change. I think he's so set in that way that he won't do it and that he's going to stay this way and he's just going to try and recruit that that super talent and try to win. But it, it's... They'll just it's, continue to be bested by the by the experience I, I in think so too. Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of a changing of the guard and, yeah. a, and, a, and a shift in how we think about it. But absolutely something I wanted to bring up, and that went on a lot longer than I had <laughs> planned. <laughs> you need it. Hey, you need it to. It's been all over Twitter about Coach Cal complaining, and you've been sick of it. Yeah, just 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 tired of it. So my my number actually leads very well from that because mine is about a five star freshman <laughs> and what his impact could be to the school that he committed to. So the craziest number. I heard this week is six because that's how many years it's been since Georgetown secured a five-star recruit. Aminu Muhammad just committed to Georgia. Like I said, first, Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown. What did I say? Sorry. Georgia. No, yeah. No he just committed to Georgetown. First five-star recruit there since 2014. So that means it's Patrick Ewing's first five-star recruit because he became head coach in 2017. That stuck out to me, A, because of how prominent Ewing is. And it just surprises me that players aren't either believing that he can be a successful coach and B, because Georgetown has been so successful in the past and they've just fallen off a cliff in this past decade as the Big East has gotten more competitive. But Muhammad chose schools over, he chose Georgetown over Georgia he chose chose Georgetown over Indiana, Texas. He took unofficial visits to some of the big schools like Kansas. Now Patrick Ewing has five commitments in this upcoming 2021 class. And Muhammad is the third highest ranked prospect to ever commit to Georgetown since ESPN started this recruiting database in 2007. Only two guys have ever been more highly touted than Muhammad. I think the impact of him in this program, in the upcoming years, as Georgetown rebounds from the loss of the backbone of their program, Mac McClung, and just dealing with the, the repercussions of a lot of their players' actions, Muhammad is a great guy to build around. And hopefully for Georgetown and Patrick Ewing, his 
commitment to Georgetown as a five-star guy leads to more in the future. Because if Georgetown gets better, that makes the Big East better. And that makes college basketball better. And it's just such a logical progression for a school like Georgetown with the history it has, for a coach like Patrick Ewing with the success he has, to just get better and better. This was a, a huge acquisition for, for Georgetown, and they, they should be thrilled by this because, like you said, it really helps add relevance to Georgetown. I'm, I'm glad that Ewing was able to get it because he was definitely questioned when that mass exodus happened uh, just about a year ago with transfers going out of the program, then McClung transferred over the summer as well. But you're seeing for how they've played so far this season that there is some fight in them. Now you're looking at it. They currently have the sixth best recruiting class in the country as according to 247. That's unbelievable. Yeah, no, listen, they're ahead of teams like Michigan State, Baylor, uh, Louisville, USC. They're only behind Michigan, Florida State, Kentucky, haha, UCLA and Villanova. Like this, this is huge for where where Georgetown is right now. As Dana O'Neill talked about in our interview, they are part of as you use the backbone of the Big East. So if they're able to get back to relevance, if Ewing is able to really build them up, it's just better for college basketball. If Georgetown is that way, so that is why this this commitment is is very big news in college basketball. It's very big news for the Big East, and it is a very good sign for the Georgetown Hoyas. That's the perfect way to put it. Six years is a long time to not have a five-star recruit. And obviously, teams have built success around players who weren't high-ranked in high school, and that's fine. That's how, I mean, that's that's Villanova's MO. But to get an immediate impact player like Muhammad, I think is just, it elevates them to a new level and it brings them back into that relevance that they desperately need. Yeah, and listen, that's what Ewing's doing right now. He is program building. That is where that is kind of the situation they had to be put in with, with how they were when he came in, just at the end of the Thompson era. And it's it's going to take some time, but I believe that Georgetown is going to stick by him and give him time, and we'll see if he's able to pull them back up towards the the top end of the conference. And and things like this go a long way in being able to do so. Totally, and I think they will, and I think that makes. It's scary for the 10 other teams in the Big East if Georgetown starts getting back to where they were years ago. <laughs> it is, and the other point of it, kind of going back to the, the last thing we talked about with just the, the one-and-dones, is that it's also important how their player development kind of takes off over the next couple years, and it's not something you've seen too much of yet with Ewing there. So maybe kind of with the reset button kind of getting hit this season, you'll start to see that come into effect more. But if they're able to to keep Muhammad, develop him a couple years, as well as the other players coming in, uh, that is how I think you can see a little bit more sustained success from Georgetown. Yeah, the sustained is a word we've said how many times this podcast. Exactly. (laughs) That's what Georgetown needs to do, and that's what Kentucky needs to learn how to do. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we were basketball heavy this episode, but I think it's perfect timing for us. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, it was perfect time for as college basketball continues to go in a full swing. Uh, we've got Virginia and Gonzaga over the weekend. As we said, the NBA tipped off last night and everyone else will tip off tonight. Uh, if you are listening to this on Wednesday, the 23rd. So it's, it's an exciting time for basketball fans. Yeah. And we've got a, another special edition Villanova basketball recap episode. Because Villanova plays Marquette tonight on the road. So that'll be a, a big game for the Cats as we, our last game before the holiday break. 
Absolutely, yeah. So if you're listening to this on that first Wednesday, be on the lookout for that either tonight or uh, the 24th on the morning. So definitely exciting time for, for some basketball. But all right, that'll do it. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. So make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Did You Hear Pod to let us know what you think. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and leave a rating because that really helps us out. And as Emma said, we will be recording uh, either tonight or tomorrow morning with reaction to Villanova's game against Marquette. And otherwise, next podcast will drop next Wednesday. So, Emma, that's a wrap. Mm-hmm.